Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Um, this final session is entitled, Finish the Race. Finish the Race, and I always like to keep this as the last session, sort of like a send-off thing. And I know there are many messages that have been preached about the race. If you are a Christian long enough and you've attended church often enough, I'm sure this metaphor, this illustration of the race is not unfamiliar to you. But this evening, I hope that I'll be able to give you perhaps a fresh perspective for you to consider this in light of what we've already been uh, sharing. So will you join me? Let's pray once more. I don't know about you, but I sure need His strength. Father, I want to thank You, Lord. I come before You once again in my weakness, O oh Lord. In a human form, Lord, as I, or in my human terms, Lord, I'll give all that I can give, knowing that even as I run out, You will continue to speak into the lives and the hearts of my brothers and sisters. So once again, we thank you, we praise you. Let everything that is declared point to Jesus, that he will receive all praise and all glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, when we talk about the race, um, I wonder what is a verse that would come to mind to you? What would be the most familiar verse that you would sort of maybe rattle off your uh, uh, tongue? You don't have to give me the chapter and verse, but you can just say it sounds something like that. Come on, can, will you, can you speak with me? Run the race. What else? I have. Is that from? I finished the race. Yeah, and that would be like the most uh, popular verse where it talks about the race in the Bible, and that is true in any congregation that I go to. That seems to be like uh, the most uh, popular verse where the race is concerned. And so, if you look at Second Timothy chapter four, verse seven, that's where we find this one verse. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Now let me ask you another question. Where do you normally see this verse being printed in, or, or being featured, or where do you hear messages about this verse being preached? At the funeral. And so we are really the same. I come from Singapore, you come from Guam, and it's exactly the same. Ten times out of ten times, whenever I ask this question, where do we normally see this verse, they'll say the obituary. Or, you know, where do we hear messages about this one verse? And they will say, it's at the funeral. Well, nothing wrong, entirely wrong with that. But I've also learned one thing, that, you know, when a verse becomes associated with an event, that event begins to own that verse, right? And so we tend to think, when we read this one verse, oh, okay, you know, someone has passed on, life has ended. And many times we also say that life is the race. And so when life ends, I suppose we use this one line, that we have finished the race. Um, I'm not begrudging anyone from you know, attributing this one verse or one passage to uh, a dearly beloved. I'm not here to fight you on that. But I'm here to challenge you to maybe ask yourself, what really is the biblical race? Um, uh, is it correct for us to apply this across the board? And I'm talking to our keepers that have been already awakened. Is that right? All right, and so I'm going to speak really, you know, uh, as freely as I can and provoke you if I not already have done that. And let's look at the verse in context because chapter 4, verse 7 of 2 Timothy is just one verse that we are familiar with. But if you look at it in context, you will find that in verses 5 to 8, it gives us a much broader picture. If you want to back up a little bit more, you will actually start from chapter 3, verse 1. 
And right from that point on, Paul gives a context of the last days. He says, you guys, you better be careful because in the last days, are we in the last days, friends? All right, we are in the last of the last days. I keep saying that. And if Paul said this 2,000 years ago and he says, Timothy, you better be careful, I think he was writing about us. That in the last days, there will be perilous times because men will be this, men will be that, they'll be lovers of themselves, they will take selfies. <laughs> Guilty. They'll be lovers of money, boasters, proud, and so on. They will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They will have a form of godliness. They will be like this spiritual people, Christians. They will go to the church, do the right stuff, but they lack a power. They deny the power that comes with this godliness. And from such people, turn away. And then he goes on and he tells Timothy, he said, you be careful. I want you to follow me, watch me, follow me. That's discipleship. And he says, don't let go of the word because the scripture is given for, by inspiration, is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction. We have one word for that. It's called alignment. All right? It's for you to be aligned. So in verse 17, that the man and the woman of God may be complete, matured, perfect. I just added that. Um, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Kingdom assignment. Can you see this? All right? So we aligned for an assignment. Then he comes to verse chapter 4. He says, preach the word. Verse 2, be ready in season of season. And do all this with long-suffering teaching and so on. In verse 3, because the time will come, here it is again, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Do you think we're living in those days? Today we have so much teaching that you can pick and choose and you pick the ones you like and the ones you don't like, this crazy Archipian guy, just throw it away. Don't, don't listen to him, he's too harsh. Okay, and you, they'll heap up for themselves teachers, they'll turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. And here comes verse 5. Now, Timothy, you be watchful, you be careful. Watchful, here's that word again, right? Be awakened. <laughs> Make sure you align with scripture. Make sure you understand what the assignment is all about. Be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and look at those three words fulfill your ministry. Now, is this Pauline or is this Pauline? He tells uh, Archippus, take heed so that you can fulfill what this ministry or this assignment is. Now, he gives the same charge to Timothy and one of his disciples, and he says, fulfill your ministry. Now, why? Now, in the, in the Greek, you know there's no segregation, right? It continues. Because. Fulfill your ministry, Timothy, because my time is coming up. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. In other words, the time of my leaving this place is coming soon. Now, English question, my friends. Is Paul still alive at this time? Definitely, right? He just wrote the letter. But he says, my time is coming up, and I know it's going to end, but I don't know when it's at hand, somewhere it's there. And then he says, look at the tense, it changes. I have fought the good fight. It's finished. But his life has not ended. Can you see something down here? I have fought the good fight, but my departure is at hand. I don't know when. It might be one month, one year. I don't know. Let's see how Nero feels the next morning. But I fought already the good fight. It's done. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. For that doesn't mean that after this, he, he stops believing. That's not the point. But can you see the connection between him telling uh, Timothy, my brother, my, my dear friend, will you finish your assignment because I've finished mine? I want you to look at me. I want you to learn from me everything that you've seen, my pattern of living, of love, and of faith. The way I finished my assignment, I want you to finish yours. 
And I began to see that there's a connection. I don't just take one verse and say, I finished the race because Paul says, I'm gonna, my life is going to end. And so, da da it's all. Uh, so the life becomes the race, and the race is seen as the life. No, the race is very much tied in to the assignment that the Lord has for you. Now, if your life is sold out for Jesus and every part of your life is an assignment for the Lord, yes, you can say life is your race. But if you have not even begun running and moving on an assignment, life, I submit to you, I don't think is the race. How do I know this is true? Let's read on. Finally, let's lay up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Remember, again, it's on that day. We need to know and keep our eyes fixed upon that day. That's the important point, all right? It's not just struggling about something here, it's for that day. And I look at this and I start to ask the question, who gets the crown? Who gets the crown? Today, there's this tendency to think that not all believers will get the crown. But Paul was using a race language, and I believe only those who run the race, finish it well, will deserve a crown that is there. Then he says, oh, but not to me only, but also to those who love his appearing. <laughs> there you see, Hanson, I love his appearing, so it's also for me. And I said, wait, hang on. Do you remember we talk about servants? Faithful servants will love the appearing of the Lord. Those who are not faithful will not really love it when he comes. And this is the scary thing. See, if you start to understand things in context, and the Bible does not contradict itself, and you let Scripture interpret Scripture, Jesus is saying, if you want to be faithful and a wise servant, then you will be doing what I'm telling you to do. You'll be watching for my coming because you're ready to give account. You will love it when I appear. And you'll be ready. Faithfulness determines readiness. I'm so sold out on this. Paul says exactly the same thing. You know, I'm ready and I'm so confident I'm going to receive this crown because I've run the race in a certain way that is very different from others who just call themselves believers. And I'm not the only one because there are others also who love the coming of Jesus because they are ready to be giving account. You know why I say that life is not a race? I'm going to show you a picture. I'm, I'm here in the Changi Airport. By the way, we have number one airport in the world. Please come to Singapore. Every time we land in Changi International Airport, we kiss the ground. <laughs> we say, thank you, Lord, for blessing us with this wonderful airport. What a welcome when we come back into Singapore. This is me traveling to Philippines, and I'm standing in this, on this travelator. And you know the direction that I'm facing, and you know the direction that I'm going. I'm going backwards. But I'm facing, you know, the camera, and yet I'm going backwards, and yet the, 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 this conveyor belt thing or this travelator will bring me to the point where I'm actually supposed to be going. And I realize that life actually is not, is not the race. Life is a conveyor belt. And on a conveyor belt, you don't have to do anything. You can stand there, you can sleep there, you can be in slumber, and you'll still reach the end. Who wants to say Amen. That's what life is. You can bum through life, sleep through life, and do nothing in your life, and you'll still reach the end. And will you be able to say, I finished the race? Very different, my friends, you see? But you try being at a starting point of a race. If you don't run, 10 minutes later, you're still at a starting point. And when Paul talks about running at race, it's different. His entire life was sold out as a mission for Jesus Christ. 
And for him, his life, yes, would have been on assignment, would have been that race. But if a Christian says, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm just chilling out. Let's see what happens. That's not the race. The person hasn't even begun running the race. The person doesn't even know what the race is all about, let alone run it. Now, I know you're looking at me like, are you sure? Is that correct? Let's look at another verse. Let's look at another verse. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Here, Paul was writing and speaking to the church in Ephesus. And I believe Luke was the one who recorded this. He just found out that he's going to be going to Jerusalem and they don't know what's really going to happen to him. And by the looks of things, by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't look good. And they were telling him, will you not leave? Please don't go. You know, can you just stay a couple of more uh, days or weeks or months so at least you, know, you can conduct a few more seminars for us. It's going to be cool. Because when you get down there and then you, you're, you're going to be, if you're going to be killed or arrested and then um, um, martyred in any Anyway, then we're not going to have you anymore. You can do so much more for the kingdom. And this was how Paul answered them. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. And look at that again. Every time he mentions race, something else comes up. And the ministry which I received from the Lord to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And I realized every time he mentions race, the ministry is mentioned. He mentions ministry and he says, I've finished the race. And these two things are so closely linked together. And I say once again, you know, if your life is not sold out as a mission for Jesus Christ, I don't think we have even begun running that race. But if today, from this point on, you say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get aligned with you. I'm going to move an assignment. Praise the Lord. Your life becomes the race that you run for him. You see, if not, then when life comes to an end, there's no more opportunity for us to run any more race, any more races. But the opposite is not necessarily that. You know, when, when we are still alive, it doesn't mean that we are necessarily running a race. If you won't hear from me, will you listen to someone who has at least passed on and he's a great preacher, a great teacher. His name is Oswald Chambers. Have you heard of this theologian before? I love this guy because he will say it like it is. And so if he offends you, at least you get upset with him. Don't get upset with me. <laughs> he writes a commentary about Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He says, It is easier to serve God without a vision, easier to work for God without a call, because then you're not bothered by what God requires. Wow, this is another out statement if you understand what he's really saying. In other words, you can do the Christian thing and it will be much easier. Don't even hear the call of God. Don't even understand your assignment at all. Don't even receive it at all. Just do the church thing. And it's going to be easy. Why? Because common sense is your guide. And you can veneer over these things with Christian sentiment. And you're going to feel so good about yourself. Man, I'm a good church member, you know. I'm doing things for Jesus. You will be more prosperous, more successful, more leisure-hearted if you never realize the call of God. But if once you receive a commission from Jesus Christ, the memory of what God wants will always come like a God. You know why? Because He wants to align you towards the assigning that He has for you. It will prick you, it will prompt you, it will provoke you, it will push you towards what He has for you. You will no longer be able to work for Him on a common sense basis. Wow, this is powerful. When I first read this, I said, Lord, this is what our Keepers Awakening is all about. 
Because it's so much easier, like I said, to sign up for an activity than to ever seek God for an assignment. And if you never hear the call of God, and sometimes I wonder, is it because someone has not heard or he doesn't want to hear? Because if you hear and you don't do, it's called disobedience. God, by His grace, doesn't tell you first because you're not ready to hear. But if you heard the call of God and you're doing something else, He'll keep pushing you. He'll keep pushing you. He'll keep speaking to you until you would respond, Archippus. He goes on and he speaks in his commentary, Oswald Chambers. He says, Practical work may be a competitor against abandonment to God. Because practical work is based on this argument. Remember how useful you are here. Think how much value you might be, you know, in that particular type of work. How good you are. This is your strength. This is what you can do. This is what you bring to the table. Remember, I spoke about empowerment. I said, we never start with strengths. We always start with weakness. Because I'm firmly convinced that the moment you come in weakness and the moment an assignment is given to you, automatically when you move on the assignment, your strengths kick in. It's natural. That's how you're going to be moving. But if you only focus on your strength, then you might only pick things that you can do or you like to do. That attitude does not put Jesus Christ as the guide as to where we should go, but our judgment as to where we are of most use. Never consider whether you're of use, but ever consider that you are not your own, but His. You notice this is called alignment check. It never starts with us. It always starts with Him. And the moment you come to God and say, Lord, what can I do for you? God will tell you, I actually don't need you to do anything for me. When you get to know me and understand my heartbeat, then you begin to flow in the things that I need to be doing. And then I will show you where your place is. This is Oswald Chambers. And I believe he's saying in much different words from what Paul was, but exactly the meaning, the same thing. They say, if you want to run a race, this is how it looks. People who are running a race, when they, when they sprint off that starting point, this is a picture of people who run in a race. And I want you to look at this picture that we have on the screen for you. This is what a race looks like. And can you imagine together with me? Do you see Christians running like that? Do you see their lives sold out, focused, determined, pressing on, pushing forward? Do you see them training and running in such a manner? Or do you see them not even running? Maybe some of them are just jogging. And some of them might, might just be walking or maybe strolling or maybe just sitting on a bench laughing at people who are running. And then they criticize. Oh, you see, run like that, so funny. <laughs> this is the race, my friend. Look at the horses. They are running out. The... the the horses, they're charging out. The archipuses who are moving out. That's what the Christian life looks like if we are sold out for Jesus Christ. Now, if we understand this picture, my question is this. Why are we missing the point? Why are we missing it big time? And I want to submit to you, there might be three misunderstandings in the body of Christ that might have contributed to this. There may be more. But I just want to share with you these three things. And again, I want you to evaluate if you have bought into some of these misperceptions or misunderstandings that might have caused you to think there's really no need to run this race. The first thing that might surprise you is to 
is a misunderstanding of the completed work of Jesus Christ. The misunderstanding of the completed work of Jesus Christ. And recently, you know, we've heard many times you know, a, a, a preacher that would keep telling you, you know, Jesus has done it all. On the cross, he shouts, it is finished. And after that, you know, because Jesus has done it all, he says it's finished, there's nothing else for you to do. True or false? That depends on how you understand the work that he has done. And it is true that he has finished everything that's required for salvation. There's nothing you and I can do to ever earn even a little bit, an aorta of the salvation that we so greatly receive. Praise the Lord. And he has finished it and he has done it all. But the important thing to understand is that there's only one part of the gospel. The other part needs to be lived out. When Jesus finished his assignment, yours and mine started. And so we tell people that, oh, you don't have to do anything. You know, you don't have to have anything to do anymore because Jesus has done it. It is finished. So all you have to do now is just relax. Come to church, wait for heaven. I'm not robbing anyone of their salvation. I say again, salvation is a free gift. We can never work for this. And I know perhaps in times past, we've pushed people too hard. People have been serving with the wrong perspective and the wrong understanding. And they're thinking, oh, if I don't work this, you know, then I'm not saved at all. That's not the point. I'm not talking about that at all. And so in recovering something, we tend to swing even to another extreme to make it sound even better. I always tell people, you know, the gospel is good enough. You don't have to make it sound gooder. The good news is good, amen? And sometimes we think we've got to make it a lot more attractive. No, man, Jesus is good. And if you have believed in the gospel of salvation, praise the Lord. But can you grow into the gospel of what the kingdom is all about? He saved us by His grace and His work. But now that He's king and we say, yes, we believe. We were bought with a price. We are no longer our own. Jesus owns us. And because he's king and I'm a subject, I'll say, thank you, Lord, because you saved me. You've given me a chance at this. Yes, sir. I'm ready to live for you. You see, this misunderstanding is dangerous. And I think we have to bring a balance to what this understanding is. Salvation is not the end point. Salvation is the start point. Can I say to you that salvation gets us a place in the race? If you're not even saved, God can use anyone in His sovereignty. But can I say this? If you're going to say, Lord, you know, um, I, I want to run on this team. Uh, Lord, I want to be in the Olympics team. I can tell you, God will look at every one of us and He says, you don't qualify. Grace qualifies you. We don't deserve one bit to be serving Jesus. I have no business standing here if not for the grace of Jesus Christ. And you have no business being on kingdom assignment if not for the grace that is shown to each and every one of us. You see, salvation brings us to that start point and Jesus is saying, okay, great, you believe in me, I save you, here we go, the race begins. You get started in that place, you know, the race doesn't end, the, the salvation doesn't end anything. In fact, salvation begins everything. And it's so sad that sometimes Christians think that, oh, I'm saved, you know, and we are, sure, we ought to get them saved, and after we get them saved, we just leave them alone, and that's it. They're going to heaven. I think we might have done them a disservice. 
That's the first misunderstanding, and I want to, I, I preach this hard. I was talking to church leaders, and most of the time they'll ask me, how do we get our people? You know, there's so many of these, of these nominal Christians. They come week after week, and to, to them, they feel they're regular, that they are faithful, but we know that there's more than that. I looked at this leader over lunch, and I just asked him, I said, can I be very honest with you? Can I ask a very, very hard question? He said, okay. I said, do you preach about salvation? He said, huh, salvation, but they're already saved. I say, what's your understanding of salvation? If you understand salvation as only a point in the past, then we have not given them a complete picture. But if you understand the Pauline understanding of soteriology of salvation, he says, you were saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. It's an entire journey. And I say, brother, preach it, man. Preach salvation. Teach what salvation is, the process of salvation, so they understand that we will not neglect so great a salvation. The writer of Hebrews says this. We won't take things for granted. Am I assured of my salvation? Amen. But do I work out of that? Yes, I do. Because I never live in complacency. And I praise God for this. The second misunderstanding, which extends from the first, is really the misunderstanding of these two words or concepts, grace and works. And many times when you look at these two words, it seems as if they are diametrically opposite, that if you mention one, the other one cannot be mentioned. That if you say grace, that, oh, cannot say works. If you say works, you have taken out all of grace. If you say works, then you say, oh, you see, well, every time works, that's why there's no more grace. And you don't understand this. I want to suggest to you and submit to you that it is not grace or works, it is grace and works. And it will help us to hold a healthy tension to understand grace and works and the relationship between these two. How many of you have seen this television reality show called The Amazing Race? It's okay to watch TV. <laughs> See, Pastor Mark, nobody dared to put up their hands. Are you familiar with this TV reality show called The Amazing Race? Yes? Okay, good. And The Amazing Race is where the pairs or couples, they would race against each other around the world. And there are different legs of this race. And uh, in, in the different legs of these races, you know that they have to make decisions. They have to play certain games. They have to achieve a few things. And they will come to uh, the end of each leg and they will be assessed. And you know that the last team, the last couple that arrives in that place, they will be eliminated. Yes? Did we watch the same program? Yeah. And many times when you're watching that program, you'll see the couple and they will present themselves before um, the, the judge uh, or the empire, this host. And this couple, uh, I, I, I just want to use Pastor Mark and Pastor Terry. Can I use you as an example? Come, would you stand? Yeah, just stand before me. Yeah. Yes, just facing me. Imagine that I'm the host of Amazing Race. Huh? And this couple, they've done the very best they, they could. Because every couple wants to win, amen? Right? They want to win. And so they start out that, that leg and they thought they were, they were doing good, but somehow in that leg, they messed up totally. They just keep messing up. They, they booked the wrong flight. They missed the train. Um, they, they choose the wrong game. They choose, and not only that, they choose the wrong player to really the wrong game. And they, are, they keep missing all these things and they keep messing up. They get so upset with one another, they begin to shout at each other. Not you, of course. And have you seen those programs that halfway through, a married couple wants to divorce? 
Because they realize, man, how did I marry you? I didn't know you were like that. Not you, sir. Not you, sir. And so they're having a go with each other. And somehow, in, they don't know how the other teams are doing, but they're coming to this last part here, and everything has just been wrong. And so they come and they approach the host. And you can see on their faces. They're not smiling like you like that. <laughs> they have their backpacks. You see their backpacks there? And it's, it's heavy, yeah? It's tough. And they come and they present themselves. And, and here's the host. looks at them and says, Mark and Terry, you're the last team to reach this checkpoint. Oh man, you should see their faces. <gasps> I thought, I, I, I had an idea we would be the last one. I didn't know that we we're going to be the last Now that it's the last one, it's not going to be good news. Their shoulders slump, it's heavier than it should be. And they're like, <laughs> because they're waiting for the next line. You understand? They're waiting for the next line. And the host stands there. He's paid to look really poker face. <laughs> and then he smiles. But this round is a non-elimination round. Are you sure? Can you give them a big round of applause? I want you to see something in there. You see, when we move on kingdom assignment, don't we have days like that? Don't we have weeks like that? And sometimes it can go on like without end, and you're like, God, I messed up big time. Anyone been there? Yeah? And I find myself in that position often. I mean, I do my best. I want to please Jesus. I want to please Abba Father. I do my very best. I run the most. But maybe I, I made a wrong decision. Maybe I, I shouted at my wife. Maybe I neglected my children. Maybe instead of loving the, the flock, I want to barbecue them, you know what I'm saying? And these things happen, right? And when you check in with the Father, and you're like, Lord, I, Father, I just messed up. And I, I just hear the Lord saying to you, uh, to me, He goes, it's okay, son. It's still a non-elimination round. You see, by all counts, I deserve to be eliminated. If I play by the rules of the game, I can never meet up to it. And in ministry, it's always a non-elimination round by the grace of God. I don't deserve to stay in this crazy race, this difficult race, but it is by His grace that I keep going on. And so He says, son, my grace is sufficient for you. Why don't you just check in, rest right now. Tomorrow is a new day. My mercies are new each morning. Great is my faithfulness. And you get up and you run again and you do the very, very best. And even if you fail one more time because you did your very best, I know my grace will cover everything that you couldn't even achieve. You see, grace and works are not two things that we, we speak of one and don't talk about another thing. They, it's grace and works that goes together. Because grace brought you in into the, into the kingdom in the first place. It will be grace that sustains you. It will, it will be grace that sustain, sees you through. And so based on grace and works, I, I, I'm telling people it is His amazing grace that keeps us in the amazing race. If you want to work for Jesus and you want to work with Jesus, you better understand the grace that comes with it. If you only understand grace and think that there's nothing else to do, you've got a wrong end of understanding what grace is. But as you're working with Jesus, you're going to need that grace every moment of your life. 
Without that grace, you will die. You're going to go on kingdom assignment. You're going to mess up big time. You're going to feel so condemned. And I thank God in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There's now therefore no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But I get aligned. Don't walk by the ways of the flesh. Get aligned with the things of the Spirit. His grace keeps us in the amazing race. I can tell you, our Keeper's Awakening has just pushed me on my knees and pushed me to the Lord over and over again. If not for His grace, where would I be? And I know it will still be by His grace I continue to move forward. The day I forget that, pride comes in. And I think it's all about me. The third misunderstanding I submit to you is the goal of the race. It's a very funny thing. You can test this out with Christians that you know. What's the goal of the race? And they'll tell you, I want to get to heaven. And you'll tell them, uh, most of the time, that's what you're going to say. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking, I'm going to get to heaven. Is that the goal of the race? I mean, you're saved, right? And so if you believe, if you're saved and you're going to heaven, then why is there need for a race? So you don't need to race. And that's why they have this, this confusion as in, okay, right, that's true, I'm going to heaven. And if that's the goal, I'm going to go there by grace through Jesus Christ. I don't need to race. It's a misunderstanding of the goal of the race. I'm going to show you a picture of Joseph's schooling. We just mentioned this just last night, was it? Joseph's schooling. This article was featured in our Straits Times, in our national newspaper, and he was interviewed on the eve of him being the first Singaporean to qualify for the Olympics. 200 meter, 200 meters? Well, 100 meter butterfly finals. Singaporean. Yeah, we've, met, we've gone to the Olympics, we've never made anything out of it, but here is this guy at the verge of winning, and he had a chance of winning a medal for Singapore. Yay. He was interviewed. When I read this, the next day, it was printed the next day, he had already won the gold. And he broke the Olympic record at 50.39 seconds, 12 of August 2016. It's already been about two years. And you look at those three words, and I snapped a picture of it, and I said, Lord, I'm going to use this. See, Joseph Schooling went to the Olympics. The goal of the race is not to tour Rio de Janeiro. It wasn't to get to a certain place. It was to win the gold. The goal of the race of every athlete is to win and to win right and win big. You get to a certain finals, that's, a, that's the only thing that, that occupies your mind. You go for gold. Now this is biblical because Paul knew the Greek games. And that's why he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. If you're going to run in a race, you run for the gold. That's, that's all you're there for. And if you're going to be going for the gold, you better be training for the gold. Everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. Now, they're going to win a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. Remember, he said, I'm going to get a crown of righteousness. So he's saying, he's using the same picture here. He says, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get that crown because I'm going to be training for it. And this is the way I run, not with uncertainty. I'm not going to be aimless. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air. 
But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. There are a couple of interpretations of what the disqualification is all about, and I won't go into that part. I just want to focus on the first line down there. Do you not know that those who run in the race all run, but one receives the prize? Each time when I get to teach about something like that, my students invariably after that will come up to me, Pastor, how many prizes are there? Because in their mind, it's like, oh, only one wins the prize. And man, if it's only one, oh dear, Pastor Terry's going to get it. <laughs> I've got no chance, right? Uh, he's more anointed, he's more spiritual, you know, he preaches better than I am, and he's more patient than I am, so he's definitely going to get it. Only one wins the prize. And I look at them and I say, my dear brother and my sister, why do you worry how many prizes there are? That's a wrong focus. Although I say that you should be running for the prize. The right focus is the next line. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. I believe in God's kingdom economy. There are enough prizes to reward anyone who would run in a way that will win the goal. In other words, you train your best. You do your very best. You run all out. You do everything that you need to be doing for Jesus because He has marked out a lane for you and you run with all you ever understand it to be. And if, you, if all of us do that, then the one who comes in first, second, third, fourth, everyone has run in such a way that they have done their very, very best. I believe you will receive that prize from the Lord. But if you're not even in the race, if you've not even started running, I don't know what price we're going to get. Because Jesus actually says that, Behold, I'm coming soon, and in my hand are the rewards to reward those according to His works. And I began to realize and understand why the Lord is awakening His people because He's got more prizes to give out than there are people who are interested in assignments. And we think that we can sit in church and, and, and get out there and receive a prize. I think we have not read our Bibles. We have not understood what the Lord is really something to say, wanting to say to us. And so to correct this notion or the misnotion of the goal of the race as just going to heaven, my own goal is this. To see His face is the goal of the race. That's me. And that's because I want it to rhyme. To see His face is the goal. Of, you see, but this is my goal. My goal is good for me. My goal is not good for you. Amen? But if you make this your goal, then it's good for you. Why do I, why do I phrase it this way? Because in the Bible, it talks about a bema, a judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if I'm not wrong. And it says that one day we're going to meet him face to face and we will be judged. Do you know Christians will be judged? I don't hear too much of that today. Because we keep hearing that, you know, everything's going to be cool, everything's going to be fine. You know, there's no more judgment ever for us. But yet there is a judgment of the saints. We've got to teach eternity. We've got to let the people understand what's going to happen when Jesus comes. And the judgment seat of Christ, we call it in theological terms, the Bema seat, the Bematos. And the Bombematos is really a judgment podium or a seat where in the Greek games, the judge is, is, is seated down there and when the athletes have finished running their race, they will line up before the judge. And the judge is going to call a video replay. Okay, in those days, they didn't have radio, video replays. But he will, he will assess to see whether this person has run according to the rules. And that's what Paul says. 
If you're an athlete, you run according to the rules. He's not crowned unless you run according to the rules. And if you're going to run according to the rules, you better know which lane you're in. <laughs> you don't run in the wrong lane and say, excuse me, I finished 100 meters. Sorry, that was out of the stadium. You should have been in the stadium. <laughs> and the judge then after that, when he deems all to be correct, he presents the prize. I don't know about you, my friends. I want to stand that day before him. I want to see his face. And I can just imagine this place in my mind. He looks at me and he says, Son, have you done all I've asked you to do? Have you run this race? And I know I'm going to say, Lord, I've done my best. I've done it perfectly, but I thank you for your grace. I want to see my king smile. I want to see his face. I want to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's my goal. What's yours? I want to see that, but for me to see that, I need to know my race. I need to know, is it one leg, two legs, three legs? I don't know. Is it a big race, small race? Am I running for a marathon? Am I running for 100 meters, a few dashes down here? I don't know. But I listen for my assignment. I want to be faithful to what the Lord has given to me. And I studied about this, and that prompted me to write and say to our keepers, these misunderstandings have all but lulled the church into a state of complacent slumber. The race has become merely a spiritual metaphor with rich symbolism but requires little or no effort on our part. It's scary. Sometimes, you know, we can sermonize something, we can Christianize something, we can spiritualize something and the people will say, Amen. And they will say, I'll run the race and they go out and nobody runs at all. And we do life as normal. We're not on assignment, we're not training, we're not disciplining our bodies. And all we have is a bunch of Christians who come to church. And on that day, I don't know where they will be. And so I urge you and I encourage you, finish the race. Well, you've got to know it first before you can run it to finish it. Go for goal. And as I close, let me close with Colossians 4.17 once more. And I'm really saying to each of you as our keepers, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. I leave you with the words of another great theologian, Charles Spurgeon. At this point, maybe I can invite the worship team, if you can just come up. We're going to be ministering in a very, very short while. Charles Spurgeon says this, Let every man, let every woman, let every occupus find out what God wants him to do and let him do it or die in the attempt. Who says amen to that? I want to say thank you to Pastor Mark for this opportunity to minister and to share this word with all of you. I submit it to the leadership of not just Life in the Sun uh, Fellowship, but even to the leadership of Guam. If the Lord is beginning to do something on this island, will you judge this word 
If I've been overly harsh in any way, will you forgive me? But if I've been provocative in a certain way that, that pushes you towards all that the Lord has for you, then I say praise God for that.